Well, welcome to the Guardian podcast with Ren Melberg. My name is Harold Nickel. You know, last week we talked with Ren about Scrum. So this week we are going to press ahead with a couple of more pieces of the puzzle that is agile and safe. A couple of really interesting project management systems to say the least. And Ren, I'm sure that there's much more to these roles than would ever meet the eye. So if you could please expand on the role of product owner for us. Sure. The product owner is a member of the Scrum team. Sometimes they are in more than one Scrum team, but they are the voice of the customer, so they represent the customer's needs and desires and experience. They are also there to assure that the product or the feature that's being developed meets the um, business value goals of the organization. So they really are the purest form of the business representative on a Scrum team. And the role of product owner with their contact and representation of the commercial side and of the customer, it sounds like they should actually be the visionary for the team. Is that is that true? In terms of the product or the feature they're developing, yes. I put a little caveat on that because sometimes the vision for the team also includes very specific uh, technical or architecture items. And the product owner may have input on that, um, but they're not the decision maker on that. Um, So their vision is really more focused on the business value and the product or feature that the team is working on. Okay. And the product owner, I guess, too, is maybe a bit of of a cheerleader or even a, a social worker for the team or maybe a little bit of both. It just seems like they have some kind of, um, oh, I don't know, tough to define leadership roles with product owners. Is that is that a safe conclusion? Yeah, I, I think it's tough because it very much is um, a hybrid between the servant leadership that we see in all of the other roles on a Scrum team. We do expect that from the product owner as well. So you mentioned the cheerleader, social worker uh, aspect of that role. Absolutely, of the two roles that are are charged with protecting the team, uh, the product owner is one of them, and the scrum master is the other. Uh, the scrum, the product owner though, is looking at it from a different perspective, and making sure that, for instance. Um, the product owner or other people are not communicating dates and expectations that the team hasn't committed to. Mm-hmm. And that's usually the most common thing that a product owner has to protect the team from. The second most common is um, lack of prioritization or over-prioritization. Uh, so often we'll see in organizations where they don't, they're, they say they're prioritizing their work, but they really aren't because they'll have five things that are number one. Right. Well, there can only be one number one, right? Absolutely. There can only be one top priority. And so the product owner has to protect their scrum team or teams from that. 
Um, and over-prioritization is where we see a lot of churn in the prioritization. So what was number one today is now number five, and then it's number three on Thursday, and it's number eight next week. And it's changing constantly. And it's um, important for the product owner to also protect the team from that kind of churn and, and chaos. Yeah, it sounds like cheerleader, social worker, um, traffic cop almost, doesn't it? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. yeah. And I, I've also read, um, you know, when I'm getting ready to, to talk to you for the show every week, I do, I do a good bit of research, and I've read that product mm-hmm. owner or the product owner is the main decision maker for the team and that this individual must be the one who, who chooses – different features for the product. And you had said that they were kind of a commercial liaison. How does Mm -hmm. this square with the more democratic or egalitarian methods of doing things on these these teams? Because it's not as absolute Mm -hmm. as that. So we think of the two main places of a product owner is um, charged with being the primary decision maker. And the first one is prioritizing the backlog for the team. They don't do that in a vacuum. Not a good product owner, for instance. They will make sure that they're having a healthy, collaborative conversation with their team. Because if they're not, then they're going to prioritize things that are in conflict with the dependencies. Often, that thing that a product owner needs um, further down the line actually needs to be delivered before their top priority. If they're not talking to their scrum team, mm-hmm. they won't know that. Mm. And so while they are the final decision maker that blesses that prioritization list, right. they can't do it alone, and it can't be done in a vacuum, at least not effectively. The second place, that we see them having to make that absolute decision is when they accept a user story as done. The thing is, they're the last ones to say that on a Scrum team. So when we look at the life cycle of a user story, the developers are the first ones to say, yes, we believe this is done and it meets the acceptance criteria that the PO has defined. The second are the testers and they say, yes, we believe this is done and it meets the acceptance criteria. The third is the whole team because the team will look at the results of that user story. The very last person in that chain is the product owner. He says, yes, I absolutely agree with all the rest of you. (laughs) This is done, and I accept this is done. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's that's a good explanation because, um, you know, just in – in reading, it didn't sound like it was as democratic as all that, but based on what you just explained, everybody or a good number of people who should be involved in a decision are, and they just are there mm-hmm. to bless that final outcome, for lack of a better word, I guess. Okay. Absolutely. So the roles, another role for project owners to communicate outside the team about the progress the team is making or maybe the progress they're not making. That sounds like a tough place to be, um, that the product owner is actually caught in the middle between 
the members of the team and the company leadership and maybe even the customer is are they getting squeezed pretty hard by all of those or did I miss something? If the role isn't constructed correctly, that's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. What you described does happen. But if the organization has constructed the role correctly, empowered them um, as they should to be the decision maker about the, pro- the product or the features that they're delivering, um, then it's actually not that big of a deal. And it's fairly um, easy. And most organizations will use a tool that will actually communicate most of the progress. The top ones that we see are like Rally, Version 1, Jira. There's a few others out there, Agile, Craft. They all do the same thing. And what they show is the team's progress um, that they're making against the user stories and the features for that product. What they'll also see is what the team has committed to and when. And as long as an organization stays true to their agile philosophies in that we deliver it when it's ready, not before, not after. And so we don't don't communicate dates until they're committed to by the team, then this squeeze doesn't happen. The other thing that happens in larger organizations, and we see this all the time with SAFE, is there's another layer of leadership, and that is the product manager. Okay. Well, that was a good way to help tee up this next question, the product manager. Let's talk about the product manager. How does that role differ from that of product owner? Often in larger organizations, uh, the products are too large uh, to be represented by a single person. And so what we've done in SAFE is we created a product manager role. So that really is a truly customer-facing person. Um, They usually have multiple product owners who report to them. <clears throat> Excuse me. They own the overall vision, roadmap, uh, the pricing, licensing, you know, all those fun business value metrics of the total product, where the product owners will own that for particular features of the product. And that's why in SAFE, we work so hard to break our products into features because it actually helps us manage these larger projects and products in a much easier way. We can break up the features, then the features get assigned to different product owners. Those product owners break those into user stories and work with the Scrum teams to deliver on the user stories and the features. Okay. Well, it sounds like even though they share half of the name product owner, product manager, that there's a lot of distinction. And um, Mm -hmm. with the time we've got left, Ren, what are Epic's themes and features as they relate to product owners and product managers? Sure. Um, Epic's are epic. Uh, if if we're being really good adherents to Agile and Safe, epics are epic. Mm-hmm. So they're large. They live for a long period of time. Um, I've been in multiple organizations where, for whatever reason, they use epic in a much smaller, granular definition. 
Um, but if we're being good adherents to English <laughs> and to Agile, epics are epics. So an epic is usually a product or products suite. So if we think of it in terms of pure software, we have Microsoft, right? Microsoft Office is an epic. Okay. Big. Lives forever, right? Yes. Um, initiatives is breaking that a little bit further down. So we would think of that as Word, PowerPoint, etc. Uh -huh. Making sense? It does, yeah. Then, then under that, under the initiative, we have features. Features within something like Word would be copy and paste, uh -huh. you know, different edit, being able to edit things would be a feature. Okay. And then we have user stories underneath those features. So I want a Control-C for copy. I want Control-V uh, for paste. Each of those would be examples of user stories. Okay, well that, that makes sense. And um, it's fitting to last week, you know, you, you taught us about uh, user stories and that, you know, yard work was maybe an epic, but that, um, a good user story is trimming the hedge or mowing the grass. Right. It's small enough that it can be executed within a, a relatively small time frame, um, but it also still has defined value. So you can say why would someone want to do that. Um, in, in that's where, where we want, don't want to get too small or too technical with user stories, and that's where your product owner is critical and why we charge product owners with um, at least the initial writing of user stories because they're the ones who always have to answer the question, why? Why does this person, whoever the user is, why do they want to do this? Yeah, and I think that's a good... Uh a good, good way to kind of wrap up, and um, I'm proud of myself for learning on my own here, and, <laughs> and being able to, to relate to uh, um, these topics, the conversation that we go over every week, because um, there's a lot to know here. There is, and a couple of things I want to make sure I cover, too, is like uh, the customer proxy or the voice of the customer. Right, yeah. Um, one of the things that's often difficult for organizations, especially organizations that are uh, accustomed to being very technical and may or may not have a direct interface with the customer, it's often hard to make this transition with user stories and features to really put themselves in the place of the customer experience that they're charged with creating. And it, it really makes um, that role of product owner even more critical and more important. That's also why I often try and work with my clients to have a product manager. Often there is someone in the organization who really has that vision and who has that direct customer interaction, that experience, who can help provide that why and that guidance and to help um, groom and coach and teach the product owners who then in turn, as we mentioned earlier, are the <laughs> groom and help and teach the scrum team. There you go, that's right. The answer to why, remember, drives um, the majority of human behavior. Yes. But it's what we often forget to ask and answer in our work, especially when we're being really technical. 
And that's the last bit I wanted to bring up is when we're doing our agile release dream planning, the product manager and the product owner are critical in that process and making sure that the teams and everybody on the teams really understands the why and what we're trying to accomplish for the customer, but also for the company. Because the company has to have a really good reason why they're doing this too, not just the customer. Um, And during that two-day planning, and it's usually two days, some organizations do three, some get so good at it over time, they just do one, right? Um, But during that time, that's why we kick off with our product owner and our product manager talking about why and, and why we're all there, why we're all here doing this work, the why behind our backlog. Yeah, I think the answering the why question is so important because everybody wants to have a purpose and answering the why mm. question, it seems to me, um, creates that purpose. Absolutely. And we've talked about this in previous podcasts too, that for developers um, in particular, in architects as well, understanding that why often changes their design. It always has an impact on how they design and code the solution. Yeah, that's well said. And um, a good place to kind of wrap up for this week. Now, if you heard the show last week, we talked about (laughs) Ren's presentation that she gave at Rally On. And um, Ren, we're we're hoping that the uh, video and, and slides with the voiceover are going to be available. Is that uh, something we can look forward to? Yes. So I promise to have it up on YouTube by tomorrow. Uh-huh. Um, that will definitely happen. I just have a couple more edits that I need to do to the presentation, and then I'll be able to post it on YouTube, and I'll send a link out. On, we'll put it on the website, and I'll send a link out on, on Twitter. Yes, and um, if you're not following Ren on Twitter, you should do so. Um, and what's your Twitter handle, Ren? It's at Ren Melberg. At Ren Melberg. And for those of you who listen... Um, on iTunes or SoundCloud or one of the other podcast services that carries the Guardian podcast, you can keep up with Ren at her website, which is renmelberg.com. You can download a white paper, and you can also get in contact with Ren if you would like to. That's renmelberg.com. That is going to do it for another week of The Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg. Thank you so much for listening, and come back next week.